Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And on this episode, uh, we are we are uh, celebrating in our eloquence another old Lang Syne. That's right, <laughs> folks. New Year's. New Year, new us. It's an episode all about everyone's favorite holiday, the end of the year, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. This episode is being released on, I don't know, let's say New Year's Day. Somewhere around then. Uh, as you may have heard in our previous episode, we have split our normal holiday spectacular into a two-parter because, you know, to 2020, the, the year so nice, they named it twice. <laughs> uh, we, had to, we had to bring double, double the podcasts here at the end. Uh, the year so nice, they named it twice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that didn't get a lot of play this year, you know? Certainly not. So before before we get into anything else, I just want to say this episode is about the show How To with John Wilson. And if you take nothing else from it, if you stop this episode, like, now, if you stop it, like, in 10 seconds and don't listen to a single Because you thing, haven't seen it and you don't want to, take this one thing. Watch the show. Please watch How To with John Wilson. It's so good. You know, I don't know if there was any suspense as to how I was going to feel about the show throughout the course of the episode. I mean, I... It's my episode, right? So it's probably not surprising. But still, I just want to get that out there. <laughs> I, think show, I think this show is very good. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I mean, I know about it and you know about it. So it's like it's reached a certain level of you know knowledge. And it's, it's on a bunch of year-end lists right now. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. But uh, if you haven't seen it, you, you don't need to stop. You don't need to stop now for, for, for clarity's sake and, uh, and go watch it. But if you were going to stop now, just take that with you. Ah. <sighs> Kelsey, another another year come and gone, huh? It was a wild one for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've kind of, and we'll get around to how the show connects to this, but I've been trying to think of a way to talk about this year uh, in a way that is in any way like reasonable, you know, and like <laughs> like uh, makes sense because it's it's hard to right because well you know it's been a bad year, mm-hmm. uh, primarily due to the the COVID nineteen pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, redundant for anyone listening but worth stating for the for posterity's for posterity sake, anyway. sake yeah and it's kind of hard to, to really get at you know what it's been like because it's affected everybody pretty much right yeah but it's affected everybody in different ways and like even in within like you know my like circle of, of friends like my close friends it's affected all of us like in radically different ways um but but if i try to like think too much about that or express that in a way that i think might capture some degree of truth uh, I feel fucking stupid, right? Because it's a it's a it's a pandemic uh, that has you know had a massive effect on you know human lives around the around the world. But at the same time, if you try to hold all that in your head, you'll go crazy. As human beings, we're, we're hardwired not really to be able to acknowledge our own death, so death or suffering even on a mass scale is kind of hard to fit into your head, really. But then, of course, you know you don't want, I don't want to be like these people who are like, hey, you know, we're all stuck inside. What a what a crazy, you know, what a crazy time it's been. You know, we're all going crazy, all this quarantine stuff. It's like, like, I don't want to get cutesy about it. Yeah. But I also, I can't just sit here and, and like, you know, uh, read you, like, statistics about what's happened. Because you know what's happened. Everyone knows what's, broadly speaking, happening. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to do something about the New Year, right? Because New Year's Eve and New Year's mm-hmm. is, one, is, like, it's my favorite holiday. It's, it's my favorite tradition that we have like it's my favorite holiday tradition what we what we particularly do um mm-hmm. and i don't know like i've always i've always also liked new year's eve it's a, it's a good eve more than day but now day has become very special in my heart in the past five or so years so right because we we've, we've established for those yeah. who are not part of this this group of people which is you know i guess maybe like 
30, 32 of our listeners don't <laughs> fall in this category, but we, we our, our tradition now is we get together and watch a bunch of movies, a, cur- a curated film selection on, on January 1st, which is a nice, which has been a nice way to start the year off on a nice little fun, chill vibe, right? I love watching movies with people and hanging out with friends and just riffing and having a good time. So to me, that's an ideal way to start the, the year, but it's all sort of lifts you up because New Year's Eve is one of those things that is like, it's, it's an odd thing, right? Because it's a mix of a holiday that is both like, has this like massive set of expectations, right? Maybe even more so than, not more so than Christmas, but on a similar, similar level of like, there's this idea of like what you need to be doing on New Year's Eve. And it's like a very, it's a very high stress, like list of things you have to get to. But I think one of the things I really like about it is that New Year's Eve is going to happen no matter what you do. If you really wanted to, you could, as, you know, as John Grisham once prophesied, you could skip Christmas. You could shut yourself off and, like, you know, not consume certain media. You could turn off the internet or whatever and just sort of hold yourself up for a day on Christmas or whatever and come out and Christmas is over. That's it. It's, you don't have to think about it. But the new year, like, it'll be a new year whether you want it to be or not. And to me, there's something very, uh, very healthy about looking at that and sort of using that time to sort of take stock of the year before and the year coming. And I know, like, you know, obviously the idea of the New Year's resolution almost always ends in disappointment <laughs> and failure. But, you know, it's that attempt to, to better ourselves at the point of this, like, arbitrary divide between last year and, and the next year that I find. I find, yeah, I find that a good goal, even if you don't succeed in it, which I basically never have. And also, I just like the whole idea of, you know, finding ways to delineate periods of time. And I like, and I like year-end lists, honestly. I like looking Love back at stuff list. and... You know, discovering stuff I might have missed, getting reminded about cultural things I'd like to, you know, be reminded of. Love a of. debate and, over a year in list. It's my favorite thing. Oh, it's great. They're, they're great. They're the best things in the world to, like, get mad about because, you know, I don't follow sports. Yeah. <laughs> so the only thing that I have in, the, in my life that can fill that void is either politics, which is super unhealthy, yeah. or arguing about movies, which is which is great. Yeah. It's good fun for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think my love for sports is one of the things that got me through, like, being able to focus my emotional attention on something that didn't matter. <laughs> and I feel that you feel similarly about year-end lists and watching movies. Because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But people care about it, and that's nice. Art, baby. Art. It brings immeasurable value to human life. But also, at the end of the day, it's just stuff. You know, It's just stuff people made. Yeah. And it's it's fun to discuss that and like debate the merits of it and like yeah. you know bring your own point of view to bear on things. I do love to riff. You ever are in like a new group of people and you like are in your like our, you know, main group riff mode and you realize that like the riffing style does not play in this group? Yes. <laughs> I was just thinking about yes. that last night. I was like, oh, oh this, is a, this is a different genre of riff than I'm used to. <laughs> I had a problem at my last job at Away uh, where, see, my usual go-to in that is like, well, if I can't do the riff I would like to do, I will sort of find a lane and, and inhabit that lane in this group, right? Yeah. But at, at, at my last job, every role like I would have filled was already filled by somebody else. Oh, no. Like, they had, like, a writerly sort of pop culture obsessed person. And there was, like, a, there was, like a sort of weird kind of laconic, sarcastic joke person, oh, right? Oh, God. What are you going to And there were, do? like, political people. And, yeah, there was, like, every, <laughs> everything I would have, like, fallen into in terms of, like, that's my social orientation in that world was already taken. That's no longer an issue because I, <laughs> I am no longer employed by by that company or any other company which perhaps brings us back around to how to with john wilson sounds great i'm ready a six episode season of television love it first first of all six episodes beautiful we love to see it yes we love we love to see the style of the mother country represented here 
Uh, Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's 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 one of the only uh, positive cultural influences the UK has on on television is when other countries, well, specifically America, does like six episode seasons. Yeah, it's a great number of episodes for a season. It's so good. It is a show uh, created and and directed by and shot seemingly entirely by the man himself, John Wilson, who has a background working for a private detective agency out of college, but is mostly a filmmaker, right? The show is hard to describe, and if you see it, it's got a very distinct and immediately like understandable vibe and format right because the rhythm is so strong and like and pulls you through and is so so enjoyable it's kind of like a documentary series i think of it as like like short form documentary like non-fiction narrative storytelling like like basically like a filmed version of like a personal essay you might publish in the new yorker or any of those yeah magazines yeah. that still publishes it's, a you know short non-fiction it's very much at, like personal essays that's definitely what i would call it and he's essentially a guy who lives in new york city and walks around new york city with his camera filming stuff filming an insane amount of stuff filming seemingly everything I that he sees cannot imagine what the editing process was like for this that i know it's it's insane <laughs> right because large chunks of the show are just like sort of five to ten second clips of stuff he just spotted in in the city, right? Mm -hmm. And he cobbles those shorter clips together into like longer. In one interview, I read he kind of like offhandedly describes it as poetry, not in sort of a self-aggrandizing way, but in sort of a that, that's what it is, right? He's matching images that don't actually connect to each other and pairing them with his narration and sort of you know graphic meaning onto them. But it's always it's not like ponderous like Terrence Malick type stuff. But nothing against Terrence Malick, but it's no, it's, it's, it's not amusing that. a lot of the time, and it is occasionally. A little bit deeper, but not in a way that is annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insightful, but also it's it's playful. Yeah, it's very playful. There's a sense of joy and even uh, wonder, yeah. honestly, behind uh, the way he's he's cut these things together. And then there will be some whimsy. There will be longer segments where he sort of narrows in on on one person or occasionally a group of people, basically like hangs out with them or talks to them for a long period of time. And just gets their point of view on the world, life. The episodes are themed after specific things. And sometimes there's an episode like uh, How to Make Small Talk, right? Which is the first episode, I think. Yeah. Where it sort of starts off examining how to make small talk like as an actual skill. Mm -hmm. And then eventually branches off into this very weird character study of, of this one in particular guy who John meets at MTV Spring Break in Florida. So, so the title becomes like a sort of a joke in that it's not really about how to make small talk, but it is sort of about that. Then it ends up coming back around to that in the end. And then there's episodes like episode two, which is how to uh, put up scaffolding, right? Which is just about scaffolding. It's fucking great, though. That was my favorite of the, the six. I felt like I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you actually do learn a lot about scaffolding in it. And it's sort of, it, it's, it's so hyper-focused on scaffolding that, first of all, it brings your attention to a thing that you, you weren't always paying attention to. It makes the invisible visible, yeah. as you might say. And it also is so hyper-focused on scaffolding that it can't help but take on additional layers of meaning, especially in light of the other stuff in the season. Yeah. About, like, his sort of personal, you know, attempts to sort of break down the kind of wall he's built around himself. I think that all, all humans have around themselves to some extent or another. I think the scaffolding episode also, like, really puts into perspective, which I assume is a theme we're going to be talking about, how much of a show about New York that this is, which is maybe insular for our uh, listeners, but um, I agree with you in that, like, this show is the best representation of New York that I've seen in mainstream media. <laughs> Hands down, and specifically, like, yeah. New York as as I understand it. As I, as, like, as I know, currently. Yeah, as a person who who moved here in 2013... 
and is like, you know, does not have roots here whatsoever, but also endeavors to be the least obnoxious version of that person. Yeah, same. <laughs> which which means like, like for me personally, it means, yeah, I mean, you can speak to your experience with this too, sort of trying to push back against any sort of internal urge to romanticize the city because you can go too far with that pretty easily, especially if you're like, you know, a, a shitty 26 year old who moved here uh, after college or whatever. Right. And you, you don't want to be like, <laughs> like uh, talking about how New York can really change a person and it really opens up your world right and it's this magical place and you know it's got bodegas all oh, these bodegas they're these magical oases in this like you don't you don't you don't want to be like that right you don't want to be like that if you do love the city which i do you want to love it in a way that's authentic and acknowledges not only like the way it actually is but also the impact that, uh, that people like you uh and by which i mean me yeah. uh, have on the city as much as the city has changed and gentrified and sort of solidified into this gross corporate thing over the course of uh, the last several decades, and it's certain parts of the city specifically, I mean, not every part of the city literally, but the one thing that remains the same that I continue to love about New York is that uh, it's it's just packed just wall to wall with, with humans, <laughs> with human beings from all over, from here and from around the world, right? It's just full of people, which means that everywhere you go in the city, no matter how dumb and over over commercialized any part of it gets, you will still be surrounded by human beings doing human being shit, which is the most like to, to me it's a beautiful thing, right? And this show he's he's so adept at capturing these little moments in both like sort of those short clips and the longer explorations he does of how weird humans are and how and how people just behave in such like sort of understandable and relatable, but ultimately like very strange and kind of out there ways i don't know i just love that he captures that in a way that feels so real to me you know but also beautiful in a very real way a very down-to-earth clear-eyed way occasionally it's hard not to romanticize the city because like it, you just you get caught up in it and there are moments that i've had where i'm just like oh man new york <laughs> but then there are also moments that i've had where like fuck this fucking unholy city why do i live here <laughs> um like honestly Trying to look for an apartment in New York City will make you unromanticize it so fast, <laughs> uh, which I am currently doing. So um, I agree with you that he he captures the things that are really interesting and great about it. And the scaffolding episode in particular for me was really like, oh, the amount of scaffolding that there is in New York is just a thing that is understood. But I don't think other big cities have as much <laughs> and i just like i i've never really thought about it and i was just like oh this is a very like i understand this experience so specifically but i've never thought about it it's just part of my life i was just like oh wow okay john get me there i'm, I'm on this ride with you let's go <laughs> i can immediately tell why you love this show like if i had seen this show separate from you i would have been like jason would fucking love this <laughs> um it is co-produced by nathan fielder who we did watch nathan for you on the show i was not the biggest fan (laughs) i think this show personally relies a lot more on john wilson's talent as a filmmaker than nathan for you did on nathan's whole thing (laughs) i still get very like uncomfortable like during the sort of long longer uh asides when he's like actually talking to people I, I really do love the, like, sort of narrative voiceover 
film editing work that he's doing. And sometimes it's not like as uncomfortable. Like some things are, are better than others, but that still just kind of makes me cringe. But that's like a me thing and I knew that it would going in. So it's fine. But yeah, I think the How to Put Up Scaffolding episode really cemented it as like, oh no, this is like a, a very, it's not just like a gag. It's not just like a thing. Like this is a very well thought out, like, piece of filmmaking it's not a joke <laughs> it's not a joke it's not a joke not you a don't joke. watch it as a joke it's not a joke um and the final episode how to cook perfect risotto definitely like solidifies that incredibly it, the episode is incredible to be quite honest if you watch mm-hmm. one episode from this show please watch that one <laughs> um i cried a little bit <laughs> no same absolutely yeah before we dive fully into that episode yes. i, I want to ask if you have how you feel about this you mean you mentioned being sort of cringy and a little bit anxious watching him interact with, with some of those people during the like the long form conversations he has yeah. with people and i think that part of the reason why i like this show so much mm-hmm. is because it, it's almost a wish fulfillment for me in a way right i have a lot of trouble like bridging that gap between myself and the people around me like not necessarily like people i, I know in my life but like people who are strangers uh it's it, i've had difficulty in the past like meeting people and just sort of getting over that sort of you know that again that wall of just anxiety and, and fear in terms of like connecting with somebody and so the idea of him out there like just walk around with a camera being like hey uh, i'm shooting a thing i'm shooting a thing for myself or i'm shooting a thing for a thing whatever right and, like can i just talk to you like you seem interesting and, like approaching people who are just going about their day and like getting into their their lives a little bit that is like a thing that i am so like nauseatingly uh like anxious about in real life right yeah and so seeing him do that it's almost like oh man he's actually he's in new york city but he's almost living the version of it i wish i could live where i'm actually able to like get into the people's lives around me in a way that i'm not personally able to right now and i'm wondering if anything about that resonates with you it really does because when i was thinking about this and comparing it to nathan for you the thing that really resonated with me is that when he's talking to these people, for the most part, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a joke. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of times in, you know, these sort of unscripted man on the street style things, the, the person who is being interviewed is kind of the butt of a joke. And like, sometimes I'm okay with that. And other times I really don't like it. And it just sort of depends on what the tone is and all that stuff. And it, it, it but it always makes me feel a little icky, you know. And I think this show was actually a lot easier for me to watch than Nathan for you because it, John Wilson genuinely seems like he's interested in these people's lives and like what they do. And like he frames them in a way that like sometimes you can tell like this is funny and he knows the situation is funny. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, there's some interesting people, but I don't think he ever treats them with disrespect, you know? And I think, I think that that sort of grasp that he has on like how to approach people in that way, it really shows. And it is really like a boon to the final product. I think this show and Nathan for you both share a fascination with um, just the psychology of, of ordinary people and just sort of like the weird little like turns that the person's life can make and, and how <laughs> how people respond to weird situations. And I read that as sincere in both shows, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, Nathan for you ultimately is kind of a prank show in a way, right? Yeah. There are times when Nathan and his sort of point of view and approach to the world is clearly the butt of the joke. Yeah. But there are there are times that it feels a little bit like he's he's pulling one over on these people. Yeah, he's not presenting the exact <laughs> full picture of what he's doing, and maybe they're you know maybe he's taking advantage of them a little a little bit. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think it ever gets too bad because it never really makes me feel like uh, anyone's being you know morally compromised. But there is a level of vacuness to it that I totally get. 
that makes it cringier than this show because this show it's like i i assume he's not saying like hey i'm making a show for hbo do you want to be on this serial comic documentary thing i'm doing about my life he but he's probably like but he says like i have to assume he's like i'm filming a thing for a project can i talk to you about it and then what you see from that point on is just what it is well yeah and i would also assume that the people represented probably have to sign some sort of paperwork at some point yeah i i always wonder with this show because uh, the people he speaks to for long periods of time who like he like interviews i assume like yeah someone's someone's getting a release signed but the people he just films in the street he can't be getting releases from all those people there's just no way like i think there are i don't know what the rules are but it's like the same thing with like street photography like <laughs> i think you there's like because it's for art or something <laughs> I, I don't actually know. You know, it's weird. I, th- I, th- I find street photography kind of gross, but I have no problem with this. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Interesting. I think it might be because I find this funny. Yeah. Whereas I find most street photography just to be kind of obnoxious. Yeah. And also there's like there's like a rhythm to the combination of images and, and sound and music. Movies, they're great. <laughs> uh, moving images is a great piece of art. Whereas like, you know, an individual street photographer's work, like one individual photo is just like, oh, you found a person who looked cool. And then now that's part of your work, you know? There's no, I don't see any like real art to that work. I think there is some real art in like framing and, and being out there. And if they're shooting in on film, like I having just gone through my high school portfolios and I found my <laughs> intro to photography class, I'm like, fuck, film is hard. Why do people do that? <laughs> um, yeah. I think there is some like nuance to it, but I can see why sure. you would like this better. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fundamentally biased towards the, the moving image as an art form. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know what the rules are as far as like, release forms maybe it's like if you're not like you're not like representing them you're not saying this is like this person it's just like they're part of the landscape my total guess on this based again totally on guesswork is that it works something like how extras work on a movie set where or in in crediting on on a film Mm -hmm. or a tv show like if someone speaks even if it's like one line yeah it's a major jump from just being a background like person who's like on camera like fully visible for long periods of time but doesn't speak or interact directly with one of the main characters mm-hmm. i'm wondering if there's like an interview thing where if you can like clearly like discern someone's like conversation in mm-hmm. a piece of film they have to give you the rights to represent what they're saying because they are putting putting out a point of view but but if they're just in, in a public space then they're almost like just a, a physical reality that is like open to I think being captured probably is something like that just because like I mean, just think about, like, you know, all the things that shoot in New York in general. Like, we're probably in the background of something somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if I was really, really self-obsessed, I would rewatch this a third time. Listen, there is no, no way that one of us is not in this somewhere. Like, somebody we know is in the background of a shot of this show. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I feel like that's sort of the beauty of this show, too, is that, like, if you're living in New York now, like, you feel like you're in it. I mean, maybe it's just because we are a very similar demographic to John Wilson. Yeah, he's from New York, I think, but other than that. Okay. Well, he's from Long Island. I think you can say born and raised. Yeah, we'll, we'll give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, us, us as the arbiters of who is and is not a true New Yorker. <laughs> I, I, I wonder how many... Well, it's hard to tell, right? Because like, this, this show has been getting a lot of critical acclaim over the past couple months, right? But... A lot of those critics do live in New York as well. Yeah. But I, do, I know that Morgan, friend of the podcast, Morgan Stewart, had watched at least the first episode. I don't know how much further he got, but he really enjoyed at least the first episode. And Morgan, you know, does not live in New York City. That's true. So I, I wonder what the appeal is beyond people who live in the city. I, I got to assume it's it's not 
terrible because there are. I mean, he does open every episode by addressing New York specifically, but that kind of is, I think, part of what he's doing with the whole season-long setup he's giving. But like, like the How to Improve Your Memory episode is basically that that could i mean it couldn't happen anywhere else right only in new york am i right <laughs> but it kind of like he he it, that could happen anywhere you could meet yeah. that kind of guy theoretically anywhere in the world yeah and end up at a, at a mandela effect uh conference in in what is it idaho yeah he flies out to idaho oh, to, the go best to that western or somewhere like that at the, at like it's like the best western plus yeah I think it's also just this very wonderful thing that I really enjoy in that like he just lets the conversation take him to a place, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, you know, like a lot of times we're like all just sitting around shooting the shit or whatever. And I'll we'll be talking about something I'm like, how do we get here? <laughs> um, and I love that. I love that. You know, I love that, you know, one thing can get you to another thing and can just lead you so far from your original point and like. Normally, that is discouraged in a creative process, but I like how much he just leans into that. And then it still comes together as like a, a full and wonderful thing, you know? Yeah, yeah as, you, as you said, that, is, that captures how conversations happen all the time. So it's really satisfying to see uh, or, or hear or whatever a sort of piece of media that makes that literal and physical. Mm-hmm. Like John Wilson like get, you know, gets in this conversation with this guy about the Mandela thing that happens because he's like in the grocery store for a different reason. And that literally like leads him to fly out to Idaho to meet a bunch of other people like this guy. Which, like, the Mandela effect is fascinating. <laughs> right? <laughs> These people are, you know, need to take a step back. But, like, the, <laughs> the, the phenomenon in general is fascinating. And I get it. I get why people are into it. <laughs> I wondered, watching it through this time, I sort of really sat and thought about it. Because the Mandela effect is like, if you're not inside of that bubble of those of that sort of worldview it's very easy to look at these people and go like ah just get get over it right yeah like come on you're wrong just deal with it (laughs) but i really i really think and this is like you know this is my thing i think we should always ask questions about why a group of people are behaving a certain way if if there's like a lot of people who are doing a thing that we find odd or or repulsive in any way we should think about what could cause that and my current working theory is that there's something in the human brain right where it, it, the human brain, for reasons that anyone who is like understands psychology, like can can tell you, is not set up to to accept that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. We have like a bunch of things working overtime in our brain constantly to make sure that we only accept and acknowledge things we already basically think are true. And I think that there is something in the human brain like that that when you are presented with like contradictory information to a thing that you can picture and imagine in your in your false memory, right? Uh, if you see something that something that contradicts that too soon. You can't accept it because you know, think about it in the older in the in the old times pre-internet mm-hmm. uh, or pre even the internet being as accessible as it is now. Uh, you couldn't like look up Stouffer's stovetop stuffing right away, right? Sure. You could get into an argument with somebody where you said there's a thing called Stouffer's stovetop stuffing, and they would say, "No, there's not. It's Kraft stovetop stuffing." And you go, "No, no, no, it's Stouffer's." And then their 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 friend is like, "Yeah, it's Kraft. You're you're wrong." And you're like, "No, no, no. There's no way. There's no way." I think I think what you need to do there is like break away from the conversation for a bit and let that sort of conflict sit in your mind for a while. (laughs) And then when you like, you know, go to the library and like pull up a a photo of like an old ad of of craft stuffing, right? And you see that image that sort of kind of matches what you're imagining, but not quite. You can then go, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong. But if you're sitting there with your friends arguing and you pull out your phone and you can't find the image you know is is there, that that makes you think that something, there's been a break in reality (laughs) because you are truly like, 
interacting like because because we all know the internet tells you exactly what is true at all times, right? <laughs> I mean, we know that's not true, but that's kind of how we feel about it. It sort of is this omnipresent fountain of knowledge. So you are truly coming into conflict with a, with another version of reality at a speed that I think the human brain is not set up to to take. And I think that people who get really into the Mandela effect, that thing is just more pronounced for them personally. Mm. They just truly like when they come up against that reality, they are like, you know, they're just wired to not pre- press the brakes at all. They just go straight over the edge. Yeah, I, I guess I just have always had such a shitty memory that I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm wrong. <laughs> that makes sense. I remember things badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the Bernstein Bears thing did fuck me up for a while, but... <laughs> it is crazy, right? Like, it does not seem like it should be spelled that way. No. I always assumed they were Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's stolen valor in hindsight. Because they definitely want you to think they were Jewish. In hindsight? Come on. I get it. And I think the thing is that's like you and me can have that sort of moment of like, that's funny and weird and kind of crazy. Yeah. But we're not going to go to a, to, a, to a conference. There hasn't been, you know, a, a jump in the in the interdimensional whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such an elaborate way of like of getting around being wrong. But that's what the human brain is for. The human brain it it is does all these like... This is what I mean. Like, this is a sort of that sort of outsized, like weird, like uncontrollable kind of humanity that that you sort of are are put up against uh, in New York City, yeah. or at least you used to be. Yes, you used to be. I think we can now move on to talking about the finale. How to cook the perfect risotto? Yes. Yeah, so th- this is where John Wilson kind of addresses the uh, the unspoken anxiety of watching a show that was filmed in New York City mm-hmm. in like early 2020. Like you can tell. From it that it was filmed in 2019, early 2020. Like, yeah. it's very much now, and you can tell by wh- the way he's walking around and where he's going. And, like, literally the whole time I was thinking about, I was watching it, I was like, okay, if we're moving through time in a linear way, which I assume we were, like, are we going to get there? Right, right. <laughs> There's that anxiety. And for me, it's also, like, because we're living through this thing right now, and it's just infected everything we, we do, it's hard to watch pieces of media now and and not think at least for me like why aren't they wearing masks yeah oh my god you know, when i see people eating eating like you know i can see shit that was filmed 10 years ago but if they're like at a party or eating food and like talking to each other over a plate of food part of me like seizes up in, in anxiety or like a very yeah. a small part of me thankfully but it is like it is there especially if it's something older it's very brief but it does happen yes <laughs> and, this, and this show like because i'm watching it now has that effect yeah and again yeah and exactly what you're describing all this time you have this sort of anxiety or sort of this sort of question in the back of your mind like are we gonna are we, how far are we gonna go like how, yeah, how much, much longer the... are we because like it starts to get cold in all of his footage in the episode like previous to that and i'm like okay so it's, it's winter <laughs> like and i just like i like i would i built up this anxiety for myself and i was like why is this happening <laughs> and then the last episode of the season how to cook perfect risotto is framed around uh john's relationship with his very old landlord who lives below him and 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 like the fact that they frame it around her is like initially like sort of ratchets that anxiety up even higher right and then like he actually starts like picking up on on basically covid starts hitting yeah. the way it did like i think in there's march of february march of this year i think in like in, the previous episode there was like one person one shot of a person wearing a mask and i was like oh, oh yeah and then then and then that episode in the last episode it's really weird because it's like it's almost like 
flashbacks to like what was happening and and it was Mm -hmm. rainy that week and oh it was just a lot (laughs) yeah a lot of people have been saying like since march basically since we all had like sort of you know our lives got all fucking offended and and changed up because of this shit Uh, a lot of people myself included have been saying like i don't want to see a fucking like play about this shit once it's all over i don't want to see you know zoom uh tv shows and which you know i I stand by right i i had in my mind that i didn't want to see a depiction of this in media basically like for as long as i could go like avoiding it right because right. i just didn't want to be reminded of you know in, in that you know at least for a moment of what how shitty things are mm-hmm. i found this so incredibly like touching and uh not quite cathartic but almost it was almost a relief to sort of see because it's sort of things have changed so much even since then right but to see that first initial crazy period of, of late february and then in the month of march this year especially in new york city where it was like i mean i don't again i don't want to downplay anything but like in america it was not really real anywhere but new york city for like uh, uh, for a while, for a while. <laughs> and, and again i don't i don't mean that in like a any sort of way i'm just like that was that's the fact of it yeah. it was like there was a feeling and that's not true obviously there were obviously cases elsewhere uh, in the country that we weren't, we weren't aware of right but it was a New York City thing for like the first month, pretty much. Yeah. And so seeing that captured, like, and like, in, in exactly in the way it sort of like trickled into our lives very slowly at first is like a little like sort of thing in the background, like that's kind of fucked up and weird, whatever. And then so all of a sudden, to where it rushes to the forefront and dominates every moment of your life. Yeah. I I really liked it, and then and, and then he at the very end of the episode he he brings in elements of the past five episodes. To acknowledge that everything he's been dealing with, like, you know, how to make small talk, you know, uh, scaffolding, uh, you know, splitting the check at a restaurant. These are all things that we, like, experience totally differently now. And I had that thought during the, the, the show, too, during the season of, like, you know, this is an episode about going out to eat with your friends or chatting with strangers. Those are two things that we cannot do right now at all, really. Like, it's been changed at the very least. And but the fact that he addresses those and is like, you know, I, I was laid off as a result of the uh, the pandemic, and it really is like specifically like he, the way he relates the, the the covering the furniture coverings episode, right? He, he says something like, you know, when you're finally ready to take your all your covers off, you have to put them all back on. That was very again not to get you know I'm not trying to get too much into my own shit here or anything but there was a feeling in my life of like thing of being in a transitionary phase of like having you know this this kind of job i never had before and like trying to branch out like explore new things and like you know again get over that space between me and other people and this fucking thing happened it interrupted that and this is i I didn't think that would be a thing represented by any form of media especially this in the way that really was that connected with so strongly it felt like a very personal experience to me so I'm, I'm curious as to how how it hit you for me it was very much the 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 way that covid sort of seeps into that episode and then does come hurling to the forefront like of of the story of the narrative it was very like clear and specific and i don't know the my beginning of the pandemic was really weird um, <laughs> two weeks before everything closed i was just really sad about us having to cancel our vacation which was like the right thing to do but i was pissed about it no you and me too that that was a yeah. for, the, for the listener that was a vacation with me and kelsey and and, and jen and sarah yeah. a friend of the podcast jennifer harlan yeah. and of course our producer sarah and and like sarah and jen were like like we need to cancel this like before yeah. everything got shut down yeah. like a week and a half out yeah. and kelsey and i were both like no <laughs> we're no. gonna go we don't want we can probably we can do we'll be it. fine 
we couldn't have gone anyway because New York City like locked no, down. Yeah. <laughs> but we did cancel it like three weeks before that, I think. Yeah, the the, the board the border was like shut yeah. to us yeah. like a week and a half after we canceled. Yeah, and then I like ended up having to have like emergency surgery like that first week. So like just sort of yeah. like the way <laughs> the first week of the lockdown. So um, it was a weird beginning of the pandemic, but I do feel like the sort of like the haste of life when you're literally not doing anything like the the how much anxiety and and trauma and and like you feel like you're on edge all the time but you're not leaving your house ever like the the feeling of that was very much captured um in this for me and it like it's such a weird feeling to 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 deal with cuz you know i don't think i i've spoken to you about this i think maybe on the podcast but just in general i feel like i'm actually dealing with the the sort of like being at home and pandemic thing pretty well like i i am built to stay at home a lot <laughs> um and i'm probably going to have more like mental health issues transitioning back into society <laughs> um, but those first like few weeks were just everything was so probably into, into like may to be honest with you when everything was so just uncertain and it was like, well, maybe we'll go back into the office next week or, you know, you know, yeah. I'll be unfurloughed next week or, uh, you know, it was like, it's okay. You're employed for two more weeks. Like, yeah. For, so, God. which I guess for me was like that we have the money to pay you for two more weeks, like every two weeks until I think it was like July <laughs> um, when they're like, okay, everyone's employed. Everyone who is not about to get fired <laughs> is employed uh, until July 2021. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so like that whole like, you know, it's like you're not doing anything. You're not leaving your house, but like everything around you, like you should feel so stable, right? Because you know your entire environment and your whole thing, but everything feels so uncertain because you're like, Am I going to be able to pay my rent? Am I ever going to go back to work? Like, am I, like, everything is just like, there's something that is so fast, but so solid about it. And it's just, it was such a weird way to feel that I don't know how to explain clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I've adjusted as much as a person can to the, to the situation. And now, even in the situation right now where things are ob objectively perhaps worse than they've ever been, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of like the spread of of, of the virus, uh, I don't feel anywhere near like the sort of like constant moment to moment like thing you're describing as I did in March and April. Yeah, it was such a shock that this could sort of thing could happen yeah. at all. That it like you know I I hate to say it, I really think I had some sort of remaining traces of that American exceptionalist uh, mind mind state. You know, yeah. like I think part of me really thought oh, no, like I definitely this did. is America. That sort of thing doesn't happen and that's the thing that like happened to me in like uh you know that this whole year is like i i told like my mom i was like i have no faith in, in the american system at all if i had any going into this like i don't know how you can come out of this like wanting to keep our government what it is and i and I, I think Burn there's a lot down. of people who are not like you know because we're this is a this is a leftist <laughs> podcast yeah. so we are predisposed to feeling sort of you know critical of that sort of thing um but even like people who aren't fucking weirdos yeah. like normal like normal ass people we're weirdos we're, uh, we're gonna embrace for, that yeah <laughs> people for whom politics is like you know just a a background thing of life that they want to use to uh you know get things to help themselves which is i think how most people view politics yeah. i think that that's going to be a, a really like a widespread thing i think lots of people even people who have now sort of uh deluded themselves into thinking that maybe things will be better with joe biden as president 
Uh, I think that they're going to, you know, even people who otherwise wouldn't pay attention or give a shit about, like, you know, who Joe Biden is appointing to his fucking cabinet or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, people who don't give a shit about that. People are going to realize that, like, there's a structural problem underlying all this stuff, that the system doesn't work and we can't keep pretending that it does. Because they want you to pretend that it does still work. Yeah, but it does. Because they, 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 it's dependent on, you know, a lot of people have a lot invested in making the system at least appear to work. But I think people are, people are going to get that it, it doesn't. I do think that this episode in particular really does capture this specific feeling of going from a workspace to working from home to, you know, the only person that you interact with is your landlord who you really can't interact with anyway. And the lurch in my heart, I felt when she gets put into an ambulance, like I was like, what the fuck? Like that is like the most emotional pull I've had watching a piece of media like in a long time seeing an ambulance on your block in this time is like a you know a kind of traumatized like i mean seeing an ambulance on your block is never fun but in in covid times it's like it's a more traumatizing experience i think absolutely well it's 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 fucking it's real like you know like what's going on there and and that's that's part of why yeah the ambulances because the ambulances back you know in march and april were like going all the time like we live like right near the king's county medical center like we live uh, like near suny downstate oh, like God. a hospital um yeah. and like all the time literally all the time there was a moment like a couple weeks ago when i was like is it march again because like all i could hear was ambulance sirens but yes the landlady being put into the ambulance was horrifying and you sort of because you've been watching the episode and you know uh, what the real world is like you have a very strong feeling that it's not going to go well fortunately, fortunately. And this is i think the what what makes the episode bearable? I think that yeah, uh, I I think if she had not made it, it would have it wouldn't right. have worked. She, she comes back. Yeah, she's fine. John acknowledges that he can't see her or visit with her or speak to her right now, but they're able to through the window down when the garden where she you know does her gardening, they're able to communicate to each other like and and she is alive. It's this really strange thing, right, to sort of put an optimistic spin on this episode about this global pandemic that we're still in the middle of. Yeah. But it has as hopeful of an ending as you could possibly get to, uh, with giving the, the the state of the world right, which is basically like you know like hey we you know this is this shit sucks it fucked up a lot of things but you know what uh we're all going through it together yeah it's and, kind of and, like uh, you know take care of each other even if taking care of each other means not being together like it's it's I don't know it was it, it was nice <laughs> there there is just sort of a feeling of like things might be okay yeah in the future like maybe they won't be good or even as good or anywhere near the same but and and it's not guaranteed that it will be okay but things could be okay the possibility for things being okay exists yeah that that is the most sort of um responsibly optimistic message you could you could put out there anything less than that would be kind of cruel anything more than that would be a lie yeah i think he he hits a balance uh that, that for me was really satisfying and again just sort of made me so impressed at how he was able to build this overarching narrative and also what the fuck is his editing process how does he do how this does he shit do it? <laughs> he must have so, so much fucking footage like he must sit there for hours <laughs> it's, it's crazy it's man. crazy um and it's very good and how to cook the perfect risotto should win some award oh right i don't know what it would be eligible for but it should win an award of some kind and i guess to try to tie it back to the uh new year's theme um i wanted to do this 
this uh, this this show. A because I love it and I want to see if I can get everyone in the world to watch it. Forty two people at a time. Forty two people at a time. But also because this is a TV show about the experience of being in New York City, about living in New York City, which I have not really gotten to do this year. Yeah. Uh, in a way that is is recognizable to me, and this show actually captures it and you know sort of gives it to me in a direct unfiltered dose. I basically just want to talk about the year with you. Yeah. It's been such a it's been a fucked weird in, fucking fucked year. up awful year and i just feel this is a a piece of art that allows us to process that in a way that is somewhat cathartic yeah this is a a slightly more um serious episode than we normally do but no i think that's good though i think because it has been a really weird fucked up year and you know it's not the year that made it fucked up necessarily there's a lot of structural issues in place that all just sort of couldn't take the weight of a global pandemic (laughs) um and that's what happens? I don't know. I like the thing is like because this year, this year has been weird and and terrible in a lot of ways, but it has been kind of amazing in a lot of ways as well. Like for me, like personally, and like it's not been good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but like, so like Steph and I, my roommate Steph and I, have lived together for like nine years, but we have never spent as much time together as we did uh, in the past nine months. I don't think. <laughs> um, and, like, it could have gone so badly, but, like, I was like, oh, no, Steph is, like, my best friend, and we're, like, really suited to living together, and this has been really great, and I'm so happy to have spent all that time with her, and, like, that's a really wonderful thing I got out of this year. That's gonna be, like, weird when we both have to go back to work. <laughs> um, and, like, I don't know, I just, I, I think I learned how much I value my friends and my, like, my family, like, you know. We talked about this a little at Thanksgiving, but, like, I don't really want to have kids. I don't even know if I want to get married. I'm not in a relationship right now or anything. And, like, my family is you all, is my friends in New York. And I don't know. Big, uh, big same on that one. Getting a little emotional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 was a shitty year, but, like, it wasn't all bad, and... It was a year. It was a year. I, I, that's, that's one thing, this kind of, I guess, goes against what I said at the top of the episode, but it is a companion to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is my other takeaway from this, if you've gotten this far, is, is you know, if you have the chance, try not to sort of get too fixated on 2020 as, like, the bad year. Um, because we, we did that shit in 2016. We kind of have done it every year since then, to, to a certain degree. All the bad stuff that happened this year, other than the global pandemic, is a result of the bad structures in our country, and in some cases the world. Yeah, well, the, the the pandemic honestly falls under that that category. Yeah, because well, it's just because we weren't prepared for it, and we could have been. Yeah. I just and I, or I don't we weren't get willing to, ble- to pay people to stay home. Oh, God, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get. I'm not trying to say like you know don't say 2020 is a bad year because the worst is yet to come. But I I do kind of mean that. Yeah. <laughs> like if you if you go all in, in on like if you blame 20, oh man 2020 was the worst fucking what a total dumpster fire of a year. If you go all in on that now. You're gonna, it's gonna be a small thing, right, in the grand scheme of things, but still, you're gonna feel pretty fucking stupid when, like, the water wars break out in 2035, and you have to kill somebody to get, like, a gallon of drinking water. If you blame the year, right, like, you're not seeing the inherent structural issues that led to a lot of the problems we had this year, and that, that, I think that's a problem. Don't fool yourself. Again, the optimism we should go for is the optimism that, that John Wilson articulates in this episode. Yeah, you know, the possibility for improvement exists in some contexts. Maybe not the other specific political contexts, like 
uh, America. <laughs> that, 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 the ship is probably sailing on America. But you know what? You can personally probably still have a fulfilling life. Maybe. When, when, when the Amazon-branded Pinkerton agents like stomp your head into the ground uh, and crush your skull in the, in the dirt, uh, you don't want your last thought to be about how you were like all in on 2020 as the, as the worst year of all time, right? Just save yourself that small indignity as, as, the, uh, as Jeff Bezos like sucks your soul out of your eyes. Special thanks to Danny Aboud of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain, available for your downloading pleasures on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Listen to this show. Check. I've already done it. Got it. Good job. Listen to Musical Theater Deathmatch, starring Andrew and Kelsey. You should, yes. There should be a new episode coming sometime around this one. (laughs) Featuring guest appearances by friends of the podcast, Jason Edwards and Sarah Shepard and Ellen Shadburn. Yes. And some other fine people who I don't really know that well. Yeah. Listen to the Misery Loves Company podcast. We got a lot of podcasts written, up in here, y'all. Produced, directed by Morgan Stewart, other friend of the podcast. Check them all out, folks. Check them all out. And watch watch How To with John Wilson, yes. <laughs> just to reiterate. Also, both those podcasts will be linked in the description of this podcast. You can check them out that way. Okay, Kelsey, let's close out 2020. Yes. With um, uh, You too can be we... as introspective and deep as us. <laughs> as we were on this episode in, wait in, what do you mean if you go to therapy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's it that's a good way to put it that's a good way to put it they wish i would go ahead and fuck my life up can't let them get to me and even though i always fuck my life up only i can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me